Section 24 of Claimants to Royalty. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Becky Cook. Claimants to Royalty by John H. Ingram. Chapter 24 The False Saga Christ of Obsinia. A.D. 1635. The extremely romantic and improbable story of this soi de saint prince is derived from the highly interesting work of de Rocoles, but unsupported, as would appear to be the case, by any evidence beyond the verbal testimony of the claimant himself, it may be safely regarded as purely fictitious. Nevertheless, the fact that his pretensions to royalty were, to some extent, recognized in various parts of Europe, entitles him to a place here. According to de Rocoles and the monks who favored the pretender's story, his father Jacob had reigned peaceably over Abyssinia for seven years, when having allowed it to transpire that he proposed extirpating the Roman Catholics, Susneos, a cousin of his, who had leagued himself with that body, availed himself of the pretext to commence a civil war. And the result of it, in 1608, was the defeat and death of Jacob, and the usurpation of the crown by the victor. The deceased monarch left two sons, Cosme, aged eighteen, and Zog Christ, the treasure of Christ, age sixteen. At the time of their father's death the two princes were in Eich, in the Isle of Merce, where they resided for educational purposes. The new emperor, beginning his reign by putting several of his predecessor's adherents to death, caused Jacob's widow to fear for the safety of her sons. She therefore sent trusty messengers to them with a quantity of gold and precious stones, and bid them quit the country for a more secure asylum until their friends had rallied sufficiently to recover them their patrimony. Acting on this advice, the two princes forsook Ake, Cosme going in a southerly direction, by which route, it is asserted, he ultimately reached the Cape of Good Hope, and Zalga Christ going northwards. Traversing the kingdom of Sinar, which was alleged to have been tributary to his father, Zaga continued his journey to Tungi, where Orbat, a pagan monarch, reigned. This king, who was also a vassal of the Abyssinian ruler, received the fugitive prince with great honors, and for some months entertained him magnificently, having conceived the design of giving him his daughter in marriage, and assisting him to regain his father's dominions. The claimant, according to his own account, declined the proffered honor because the princess was an idolater. This rare example of royal abstinence naturally enraged Orbat, who threw his guest into prison, and sent to inform the usurper that Zaga was a captive in his hands. As soon as he received this intelligence, Susneos sent a company of guards to Orbat's capital to take possession of his young relative. Zaga, however, being warned by a friendly Venetian who was serving under the usurper, managed, or was permitted, to elude his captors, and accompanied by a large body of followers, after a series of dangerous adventures contrived to reach a portion of the Turkish domain. Desirous of traversing Arabia deserta with a view of reaching Egypt, the young wanderer now dismissed all his followers with the exception of fifty, who elected to share his dangers. A few days after this little band had penetrated into the desert, the greater portion of its baggage was stolen by a native chieftain, and some days later, in seeking for water, fifteen out of the fifty men were lost through the giving way of the cistern walls. After a tedious and trying passage, however, the devoted band succeeded in reaching a small town on the Egyptian frontiers. After a rest of three months, the young pretender pursued his journey to Cairo, where a large body of his countrymen and co-religionists resided. Zaga was enthusiastically received by his compatriots, whilst the Turkish Paca, 
or governor of the city, treated him with every respect, and for several days even lodged him in his own palace. After a short stay at Cairo, the young prince started for Jerusalem, taking with him only fifteen servitors, the remainder electing to stay with their brethren in Egypt. A large number of pilgrims also accompanied the caravan which reached the holy city safely about Lent in 1632. The soi de prince, followed by all his adherents, took up his abode with the Obsidian priests, then resident in Jerusalem. His servants, who appear to treat him with immense deference, are described at this stage of his adventures. They were represented as great black men, attired in blue cotton shirts, wound round with yellow barakan, six or eight yards long by one wide, and with turbans of check silk. Attended by these men, Zaga called on the Paca of Jerusalem to pay his respects, and in the same style honoured with his presence during Holy Week, the ceremonies performed at the Holy Sepulchre by the Christians. After having spent some time in Jerusalem, he began to imbibe conscientious scruples as to the Abyssinian forms of Christianity, and at last requested the chief Roman Catholic priest in the city to receive him into the communion of that church. This, however, was refused, the Catholics fearing that the Paco might take umbrage at so important a conversion, and make use of it to instigate a persecution against them. Nevertheless, Desirous of not losing so exalted a convert, the priest persuaded Zagwa Christ to quit the holy city secretly, and accompanied by some other pilgrims and two or three servants, who still followed his fortunes, to repair to Nazareth, where he would have perfect liberty to make his profession, the place being under the dominion of Emir Fekredin, an independent chief. On the second Thursday after Easter, 1632, the soi de prince arrived in Nazareth, and resided there until September of the same year during which time he learnt to read, write, and speak a little French and Italian. It is stated that after Zaga had spent a few days at the Covenant of Nazareth, the said religious house was visited by an Armenian bishop and his train, who were returning from solemnizing Easter at Jerusalem. The prince, meeting the ecclesiastic in the church, reproached him bitterly for teaching his countrymen such manifold lies and errors, such as that the sacred fire at the holy city was sent from heaven, instead of being merely ignited with a common flint, and so forth. The priest left Zago without being able to make any reply, but in revenge for the affront he had received, he went to the prince's few remaining followers, informed them that their master had determined to pass into Europe and become a Roman Catholic, and warned them against accompanying the heretic. As Europe was, he told them, a country of perpetual frost and snow, where natives of warmer climes would speedily die, even if they escaped being captured by the corsairs, and sold as galley-slaves, whilst on the journey. Moreover, he threatened them with excommunication if they continued to associate with a renegade to the true and pure faith. Thus frightened, the poor Abyssinians went to their master, and represented to him that they should have to quit him if he determined to leave for Europe, as they neither wished to be frozen to death nor made galley-slaves of. Their master wept at this discourse, and reproached them for their idea of abandoning him after having so long shared his fortunes, they, the only three, left out of all those who had left Abyssinia with him. He pointed out to them that if they went with him they would only have the same risks he would have himself of dying through cold, or of being sold into slavery, and that it would be far better for them to live amongst fellow-Christians than with Mohammedans, who might any day massacre them all. They were so much afflicted at their master's grief, but the persuasions of the cunning Armenian were too much for them. They abandoned their master to his fate, and followed the priest to Aleppo, where two of them died, and the third returned to Jerusalem. Thus left alone, Zaga took up his abode in the convent, where he finally abjured the heresies of the Obsidian Church, and on St. Peter's Day, 1632, received communion and absolution in the Catholic faith. 
During the five months that prince was residing at Nazareth, he was the subject of ceaseless plots and schemes, in which the Abyssinians at Jerusalem took the chief part. They tried under various pretexts to persuade the pack of that city to obtain possession of Zaga, but as the convent was under the protection of a friendly chief, the emir Fekredin, he would not undertake or permit the expedition, and at last the prince, in obedience to an invitation from the pope, crossed over to Italy and was received at Rome with great magnificence, the head of the church placing a palace at his disposal. For two years the supposed prince was hospitably entertained in the Eternal City, and at the end of that time he accepted the invitation of the Duc de Creguet, the French ambassador, to visit France. Saga made the journey, and for three more years resided in Paris, caressed and supported by the French. Going to Ruel, a village near the capital to pay his court to Cardinal Richelieu, he was attacked by pleurisy, and died there in 1638, at the age of about twenty-eight years. He had been supported royally during his residence in France, and now, at his death, was interned by the side of a prince of Portugal, and a monument erected over his remains. The epitaph, however, placed upon the tomb of our soi de Saint prince, expressed public opinion faithfully by doubting the justness of his claims to royal lineage. End of section 24